In marketing, the tagline of a movie can help the viewer get a sense of what to expect before going to see a film. Sometimes that tagline can also be an indictment of the film itself. So what do you expect from a film that proudly proclaims the worst heroes ever? Find out as we attempt to prove to you that 2016's Suicide Squad is not that bad. Welcome, welcome one and all to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A, grades in B, movies. And to all of our listeners, Happy New Year. Welcome to 2023. Uh, this is Jay. I'm the host of It's Not That Bad. Joining me, as always, is my lovely wife, Carrie. Carrie, Happy New Year to you. How you doing? Happy New Year to you and to everyone listening. I am doing great. Uh, it's day one of the next 365 of 2023 and we're just going to tiptoe into this year we're not going to say it's going to be our year that would uh that would be bad so we're just gonna like go in quietly don't touch anything don't make any eye contact (laughs) and uh and let's let's talk Suicide Squad because that seems like a good thing to <laughs> do on the first day at this of point. the year. <laughs> <laughs> so as we were putting together a list of films we wanted to kick off 2023 with, and I said, hey, let's do a Suicide Squad. That seems like a fun idea. At first, you were like, what? Well, okay. So I did not enjoy the second movie. Um, on the two previous attempts where I tried to watch this particular film, I was asleep. I think, I don't know, by the opening scene, definitely. (laughs) I was, I was shocked when I actually watched this one through and I'm like, Oh, Batman's in this flick. Batfleck is in this (laughs) flick. Um, so as you can tell, I, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't a big fan, but, uh, I'm here to, uh, to You're have here to that go turn down that around. road. Yeah. Uh, so just for the record, we did watch the extended cut of this film uh, and we watched it so you don't have to. You're welcome. Uh, but before we get into this film, it is time to take 2016 Suicide Squad and trailerize it. If you want to watch Will Smith pull a not so fresh spin on a not so super baddie in a world of heroes. Go watch Hancock. But if you want to see him do the same thing surrounded by other not-so-super baddies with super bad puns, then enter Suicide Squad, the movie that answers the question, where did the DCEU go so wrong? Watch as Margot Robbie brings to life the role of Harley Quinn while Jared Leto ends the life of one of the greatest DC villains of all time. Together, they'll prove that the only thing that can stop a ragtag bunch of misfits from saving the day is a laundry list of studio notes. Suicide Squad, rated PG-13 for phony guardians. I had to put the Guardians thing in there because, of course, Guardians of the Galaxy came out in 2014, which is a ragtag bunch of, you know, not necessarily villains, but not necessarily heroes put together to save the day. Ooh, but I love the Christmas special. Oh, God. We have been singing the songs from the the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special over and over and over. Damn you, Kevin Bacon. But I did not try to abduct him. 
this year. <laughs> this year? Wait, this this implies that you have in previous years attempted to abduct Kevin Bacon as a Christmas gift. Well, I clearly was the uh, motivation and insp- inspiration for this movie. So I, I will say that I'm sure <laughs> Kevin Bacon wishes someone had abducted him before doing Hollow Man, but I rest my case on that one. Uh, but let's talk about Suicide Squad here. This film stars Will Smith, Jared Leto, Margot Robbie, Viola Davis, Cara Delevingne, Joel Kinnaman, Jai Courtney, Jay Hernandez, and here's where I apologize for messing up my first name of 2023. I hope. We're going to put this out there right now. I'm going to have trouble with this one, but we're going to try this. Adewale Akinoe Agabaji. Yeah. And who, what character? That's Killer Croc. Oh, yeah. So again, I apologize if I have messed up that name. I did, however, watch a YouTube video of how to pronounce it. So if I messed it up, blame YouTube. That's my disclaimer there. It actually drew you to YouTube. I know. Well, you, you take a look at that name. You try and say it. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Um, I'm going to warn you right now. This will be the longest almost starring in It's Not That Bad history. I'm putting it out there right now. We're Pack a lunch, stay for the day. We got a lot of names to go through here. To start with, we're going to start with the character of Rick, uh, Rick Flagg as played by Joel Kinnaman. This almost starred Tom Hardy as Rick Flagg, but he dropped out to do The Revenant. Smart choice, Tom. Um, of course, Tom Hardy was Bane in The Dark Knight Rises, so this would, have, would not have been his first DC rodeo. But also under consideration for Rick Flagg the army guy who's basically tasked with keeping the Suicide Squad on task. I'm just going to go through this list here. Okay, You tell me if you think any of these would have been a better Rick Flag than Joel Kinnaman. Okay? Jake Gyllenhaal, or Gyllenhaal. Joe Bernthal. Joel Edgerton. Carl Urban. Bradley Cooper. Tom Cruise, for some reason. Jason Clark, Luke Evans, James Marsden, and Marky Mark. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, I don't I don't want Rick Flag going say how do you motherfuck me? No. <laughs> no. I mean, of that list, Joe Bernthal might have been cool, the guy who plays the Punisher in the uh in the Marvel Netflix series. Um Carl Urban maybe, but I liked him better as Judge Dredd. But I mean, that's a long list for just Rick Flag. But if you thought that was a long list, you have to take a look at the list for Harley Quinn. Ooh, I'm fascinated by this. Okay. So while the director has come out and said that that Margot Robbie was always the choice for Harley Quinn, apparently DC, according this is according to IMDb, apparently DC offered the role to Emma Roberts, but she turned it down because she did uh, Scream Queens, or sorry, Scream Queens instead, but also under consideration for Harley Quinn. Here's a list for you here. Olivia Thurlby, who you might remember from Dread, Imogen Poots. Allison Brie, Rooney Mara, Olivia Wilde, Amber Heard, Emma Watson, Emily Browning, Skylar Shea, Peyton List, Zoe Deschanel, Nicole Gale Anderson, Lily Collins, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Sarah Paxton, Natalie Ramos, Amanda Seyfried, and Evan Rachel Wood. Now, when did this movie come out? 2016. 2016. Because I would love to have put in the ring um, Kevin Smith's daughter. Oh, Harley, Harley Quinn, Quinn Smith. Yeah. Hey, 
Okay. But she would have been too young, I think, in 2016. It's quite possible. It's quite possible. Although, funny story on that one, though. Apparently, Kevin Smith had put together some kind of like, you know, DC, because Harley Quinn Smith herself was actually like co-hosting some show for like uh, DC Unlimited, which was their, their like streaming service that lasted for a hot minute. But Margot Robbie apparently gave the baseball bat that Harley Quinn used to Kevin Smith, and he gave it to Harley Quinn Smith. <gasps> Love that. Right? Aw. And looking at that list, though, and I'm just, there There are some names that really stood out there for me. Um, Olivia Thirlby, I loved her in Dread. Zoe Deschanel. I, I think she could have done really well with that. Oh, I think... I, I wow. Find, she might be a little too sweet, though, for, for Harley Quinn. But you know what I loved about Harley Quinn is her sweetness. Mm-hmm. I think that Margot Robbie did it absolute justice. I think the two biggest names, though, that stand out for me are Amanda Seyfried and Evan Rachel Wood. Those two I could easily see in the role of Harley Quinn. And that's not to take away from what Margot Robbie did. I think she did a phenomenal job of Harley Quinn. One of the few bright spots of this film. How about like an Isla Fisher? Oh, I like that idea. Or um, there was somebody else that popped into my head. Um, don't say Alison Hannigan because that that's also Isla Fisher. And, oh, then, and then don't say Jim Rachel Mays. Lee Cook. <laughs> Maybe. Because that would be fun. I, I could. I would love to see Rachel Lee Cook in, in any comic book universe. I could I could very easily see Rachel Lee Cook as like a like an older Zatanna. If let's we're talking just play, DC. Let's just play recast it. Oh, that's another episode entirely, by the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is for Harley Quinn. The Joker. Apparently Ryan Gosling was approached to do the Joker, but he didn't want to do a multi-picture deal. But also under consideration for the Joko for the Joko. I am having trouble with words today. Also under consideration for the Joker, Charlito Copley, Mark Strong, and Matt Smith. Ooh, can I just say I would take anybody? I would take Marky Mark Wahlberg over Jared Leto. Oh, <laughs> that would have been great. No, it wouldn't have. <gasps> no, Mark would, Wahlberg no. as the Joker? I'm not saying Jared Leto was a good Joker, but I'm saying Marky Mark is definitely not a good Joker. I want to live in that world. No. Yes. But you tell me Matt Smith as the Joker would not have put an extra layer of awesome on this. Okay, no, that would have been fantastic. Right? Big fan of that. Although that beats <gasps> David Tennant. Oh, David Tennant can play anything. As the Joker. No. No, I... I Michael Sheen. Here, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh... <laughs> God. Oh, I want to see Michael Sheen as the the Gator guy. As Killer Croc? Killer Croc, yeah. No, yeah. no, 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 no. It could no, have no. been anybody in that costume under okay. that makeup. I, I do want to say, as cool as Paul uh, as Paul Deneau was as the Riddler in The Batman, you tell me David Tennant wouldn't be a phenomenal Riddler. Hmm. Hmm? No, I, I didn't say that. I, I think David Tennant could play the... F- Shark from Jaws. You can play anything. Sorry, Affleck. Step down. <laughs> David Tennant. Is, we stand David Tennant on the show. David Tennant as Batman. <laughs> David Don Tennant <laughs> as the Batman. <laughs> Michael Sheen as the Penguin. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Really? Oh, come on. <laughs> Michael Sheen is anything. We're good. Okay. Um, as Amanda Waller is played by... by um, Viola Davis, under consideration for the role, Oprah Winfrey 
Kerry Washington and Octavia Spencer. No, I'm sorry. She's irreplaceable. Yeah, she is. She's perfect. I mean, Octavia Spencer, I could have seen do it, but but we're we're, we're going to talk about Viola Davis a little bit later. But I, I could have seen Octavia Spencer pull that off. I just I, Oprah, no, nope, no. I you get an explosion and you get an explosion and you get an explosion. That would be the Oprah version of Amanda Waller. Under consideration for the role of Deadshot as played by Will Smith. This is a long list here too, and I'm I'm just gonna. Put this out there, okay? I'm going to go through this list one by one. You tell me yay or nay as Deadshot, okay? Leo DiCaprio. No. Come on. Brad Pitt. No. Daniel Craig. No. Matthew McConaughey. Hmm. No. Johnny Depp. No. Colin Farrell. Hmm. I don't hate that. Keanu Reeves. Uh, can he play the Joker? Oh my God! <gasps> yes, yeah, yes. I, I'm I'm in that world. Step aside, David Tennant. Keanu Ruth coming Ooh, in. <laughs> them some big words. Oscar Isaac. Eh. Jason Statham. <gasps> oh, Jason Statham as Diablo. Oh. No, 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 no. Yeah. As Deadshot, though, I would totally see him as Deadshot. Idris Elba. Who, of course, went on to the Suicide Squad to play as Bloodsport. Eh. Eh, okay. Matt Damon. Oh, no. <laughs> Next. Joseph Gordon-Lovett. Hmm. You're thinking. No. No. Alexander Skarsgård. You no. Will, you will probably remember him best from True Blood. No. no. No? I I have been standing Alexander Skarsgård to enter the MCU for a long time over on just another nerd show, so uh, I would happily see him in anything. Ewan McGregor. No. Robert Pattinson, the eventual Batman. Hmm. I don't hate that. Cedric Diggory. <laughs> Michael Fassbender. Cedric. No. No. Joel Kinnaman, the guy who eventually went on to go play Rick Flagg. No. And John Hamm. No. Probably not. No. no, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll get into our thoughts on the different actors, but that was who was under consideration for Deadshot. Apparently, the role of the Enchantress was almost played by Blake Lively. Can I just say that with this lineup, it fascinates me why they went with the actors they chose. Right? I mean, I, I wonder how much of it is, is you know, people turning it down. Because there's a lot of things here where it's like someone, you know, someone was approached, they turned it down. Someone was approached, they turned it down. Maybe they, re- <laughs> maybe they read the script. Who knows? But yeah, Blake Lively turned down the role of the Enchantress. But also under consideration for Enchantress was, and again, I'm going to go through this list. You say yay or nay, okay? Brie Larson. Hmm. As Enchantress. Possible. I could see it. I could I could see her as Mar- as uh, Harley Quinn as well. Mm, yeah. Too nice? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Cersei Ronan. Yeah, you, you have that look of it. I, I can't see that. Megan Fox. Ooh. I actually don't hate that. Okay. Okay. Um, Kristen Ritter. Ooh. Right? Hmm. 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 Still no. No. Although Kristen Ritter as Mar- as as Harley Quinn, you tell me she doesn't put some Chloe crazy in there from Don't Trust the Bean Department 23. Hmm. hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Emma Stone. Hmm. Alicia Vikander. Again, you'll probably remember her best from Ex Machina and Tomb Raider. Shailene Woodley. Amelia Clark. And Alexandra Daddario. And I really don't hate that one. Oh. I really don't hate Alexandra Daddario as Enchantress. Would have been cool. Um... This is written and directed by David Ayer, who was who did this film after doing the film Fury, which got a lot of 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 good cred on that one. In Fury was one Mr. Shia LaBeouf. And according to IMDB, David Ayer wanted to find a part for Shia LaBeouf and the studio said, hells no, we don't want that kind of crazy on our set. That, this- Although I think it would have fit the the movie. I think that would have been possible. What do you think? Shia LaBeouf is the Joker. I would take anybody but Jared Leto. <laughs> like, uh, pull some guy off the street. I don't care. Uh, uh, Jared Leto, no. Jared Leto apparently is the uh, comic book killer. You know, he's going from Joker to th- that version of Joker to Morbius. Yeah. 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 This film, however has a laundry list of award nominations. Good and bad. Let's start with the good, okay? This was the first DCEU film to win an Oscar. The look, I wish this was a video podcast, because the look on your face. Like, Why? <laughs> in, in, in a sentence, if I, was, if I was to write the picture of your look at that moment, it would be, quote unquote, the f- you say <laughs> it won for best makeup and hairstyling and i kind of don't hate them for okay. that because because the 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 makeup work and all and, and all of that on killer croc was actually really 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 well done uh, i'm not going to go through every single award that they were nominated for because there were a lot but there were ones that stood out for me margot robbie at the critics choice movie award won for best actress in an, in an action movie the movie also received three Grammy nominations, uh, was nominated for Best Compilation Soundtrack that lost two miles ahead, and Best Song, uh, for two songs actually, Heathens and Purple Lamborghini. They both lost to Can't Stop the Feeling from Trolls, which you kind of, you can't really beat Trolls in the music category that year. You just can't. It won for Best Soundtrack Album at the Hollywood Music and Media Awards. And at the Teen Choice Awards, it won for Choice Movie in the Anticipated category. Uh, Cara Delevingne also won for Choice Movie Actress Anticipated. I guess that's what they vote on. Uh, Margot Robbie was also nominated in that category. At the MTV Movie Awards for that year, Jared Leto was nominated for Best Villain. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that again. No. Yes. No, you're J- killing me every time. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but we had to. No. Jared Leto you, no. was nominated for best villain. <laughs> that's the button she wanted to push. <laughs> Oy. Yep, that's our thought. That's accurate. He lost to Jeffrey Dean Morgan from The Walking Dead, and I do not disagree with that one at all. Jeffrey Dean Morgan in The Walking Dead was scary A. F. I think I would have nominated like I don't know anybody else anybody <laughs> B- 
Batfleck. <laughs> and of course, the movie won for the Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards for favorite soundtrack, which again, the soundtrack for this, you, you can't really deny that it's got a decent soundtrack, but we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But then on the bad side for the awards, this film at the Razzies, not as bad as you might think. Jared Leto, of course, was nominated for Worst Supporting Actor. He lost to Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor in Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice. That, when you think of those two films released in the same Razzie calendar year, you have the worst Lex Luthor that ever Lex luthor and the worst Joker that ever Jokered. Let's put them in the same movie. No. Oh. No. Yes. No. Yes. Uh, technically speaking, they were in Jack in uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League for hours <laughs> of four by three superhero movie. And David Ayer was nominated for worst screenplay. That lost to Batman versus Superman. Wait, can I ask a question? Because now I don't know and I'm intrigued. When um, Amanda Wallace was flipping through... Amanda Waller. The, sorry. The book, um, yes. The, the top the secret book. Oh, by the and way, you see, spo- spoilers like a mofo here. Go ahead. And you see Aquaman's picture. Yes. Was that because of the Justice League? Yes, it was. So if you remember Justice League, either cut. I remember nothing. I haven't seen it. But in both versions of Justice League, the whole thing starts with Batman kind of going out and basically rallying a Justice League together because of these parado- uh, the parademons that have been spotted around Gotham and the like. Uh, so, of course, he's got all these files. So, basically, Suicide Squad was supposed to set up the beginning of Justice League because, of course, this film happens after Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice. Superman is already, you know, six feet under in the ground. So, there's that. So, it makes sense that, that scene is there. By the way, if you haven't watched this, you are so freaking lucky. Um, but yes, David Ayer, David Ayer nominated for Worst Screenplay that lost to Batman versus Superman. I'm going to tell you right now, Batman versus Superman won that award for one line. Save Martha. Yeah. Why did you say her name? I'm, I'm, right now, people are having like... I, I can just hear Gomez from Playlist Wars just cringing already at the thought of that movie. Uh, and if you want to know what he thought about that, go listen to our first Greeting on a Curve episode. At the box office, however, this film did not disappoint. It had a budget of $175 million, a domestic gross of $325 million, and a worldwide gross of $746 million. When it was released on the August 5th, 2016 weekend, according to the numbers.com, this film slayed everything else in the box office that week. It debuted at number one with $133 million take at the box office. The next closest film was Jason Bourne at 22. That's over $110 million difference between first and second place. That's insane. That's insane. By the way, there was one other debut that week. Nine Lives debuted at number six with only a measly $6 million, $6.2 million. But yeah, this film spent three weeks at number one. It dropped 67% of its box office in the second week, but still $133 million 
That is a lot of people that went in the theater to be disappointed. We were not one of them. Not going to lie. We were not one of them. But the reason why we are talking about this film, of course, is the critic rating. Over at Metacritic, it has a meta score of 40. And over on Rotten Tomatoes, this film has an audience score of 58 and a tomatometer of 26. Interesting. That's that's an interesting um, difference of numbers. I mean, it's not the first time I've seen a, a comic book film. I mean, take a look at Black Adam, right? Black Adam has has a huge difference in between um, critic score and audience score. Black Adam alone, 39% critic score, 88% audience score. So it's it's not uncommon to have that much of a difference, but to put it into perspective, okay? Over on Rotten Tomatoes, they ranked every single DCEU film by critic score. Suicide Squad sits in last place at number 13. The next one up is Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice. For the record, the highest rated, highest rated DCEU property. Can I take a guess? You may. Um, and is this any year or is this in a specific this time This is range? all in the DCEU. Okay. So like the Christopher Reeve Superman movies don't count. The, 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 the Christopher Nolan Batman Dark Knight films don't count. How does Aquaman fare? Aquaman sits at a 65% critic score with a 73% audience score, sits at number seven on the list. Is it a, a variation of Batman? One of the many bat men? No. Okay, so baddies out. <laughs> I'll, I'll just tell you right now. The film version, like as far as films go, Wonder Woman, the first one, sits at a 93% critic score and an 83% audience score. But beating it out by 1% is season one of Peacemaker. <gasps> okay, so I wasn't aware that... That the counts. series was in the running as well. Well, that's why I put the disclaimer that Wonder Woman sits at number two, uh, 1% difference as far as critic score of DCEU properties in total. Okay, because full disclosure, I loved the Peacemaker series. Mm-hmm. I disliked Suicide Squad 2. I'm just putting it out there. Which is funny because Peacemaker, of course, was introduced in the Suicide Squad and the Suicide Squad itself actually fares fairly well as you know as far as the DCEU goes. You said you liked it less than this. I actually preferred the first movie to the second. Yes. That's, that's a, I, that's a I, bold I, statement there, Cotton. I stand... <laughs> I stand alone. <laughs> Thanks, Godsmack. Um. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Let's figure out why and just where this film went right for you. We're going to start, of course, with Will Smith as Floyd Lawton, a.k.a. Deadshot. What were your thoughts on the not-so-fresh prince here? (laughs) I liked him. I, You know what? I do not support his um, Oscar slapdown of smackdown of uh, everybody hates Chris but um I, I I really like pretty much any Will Smith movie so any character that Will Smith plays he's just so damn likable even in this case when he he was a very unlikable guy he was a very unlikable character however Will Smith made he, he's just so likable. Like, so, you know, I, you know, that whole scene with Batman and his daughter, it was like, oh, okay, pass me the tissues because, you know, here's a really bad dude about to, like, take out Batman, you know, which, I mean, let's be honest, nobody takes out Batman, but um, his daughter was the, like, the catalyst for him getting arrested and and you know and uh it was it was heart wrenching and let's be honest the scene at the end where you know he finally gets to reconnect with his daughter you know what he's a bad guy but he's likable and i can't not like will smith here's okay i'm going to agree with you that when he's but I'm sensing a but there, there is a, there, there is a but but let, okay. let, let, let me let me flush this one out here okay I fully agree with you that the the backstory for Floyd Lawton you know, the whole scene at Christmas with his daughter and all that that's where where Will Smith really did shine in this role right the backstory of Floyd Lawton the the humanity of Floyd Lawton the minute he goes full Deadshot and starts Will Smithing all over the place. That's where it becomes a okay. I'm going to list three films where he plays basically the same character through the whole damn thing I, Robot, Bad Boys, Men in Black. Like, he can't not Will Smith a role, it feels like, right? Deadshot is cold and cunning, right? Like, he will gun you down the minute the bunny's in the bank. No jokes. No jokes. The problem is, uh, more studio notes, 
you put Will Smith in a role, you're going to want him to Will Smith it. I get it. Hang on there, because I disagree with that. Really? Yeah. He would not shoot Harley Quinn. He he missed the shot. He never misses a shot. He has a heart. (sighs) And it's not about the money, and it's not about his, in that case, it was his freedom. I mean, he took- it was her freedom, really. He took a huge gamble- well, I'm not saying he's a loner. I'm not saying he's like completely, you know, unfeeling. But no, but, but there was there was like true pain there and and sadness in all of the Suicide Squad members when they thought that Harley Quinn was on that plane that went down. Like, I mean, I was applauding because I knew she was safe, but I'm like, finally, the Joker's gone. No, no, he's not. No. <laughs> like a cockroach. Anyway, um, but aside from, you know, my dislike of Jared Leto as the Joker, sorry, Jack Nicholson is the only Joker, and I'm going to put that out there right now. <laughs> you, you can send your arguments and comments and... Um, I mean, I don't think you're going to hear criticisms too. I don't think you're going <laughs> to hear criticisms bad. of Jack Nicholson as the Joker. You're definitely not going to hear criticisms of Heath Ledger as the Joker. Um, and you're definitely not going to hear any criticism out of me if anyone says Mark Hamill is the best Joker. Hmm. Um, True. But, There's but, that. But Jared Leto is not the best Joker. Okay. But back to, back to Will Smith. I, again, I, I, I really think... If it weren't for him and his connection with um, with Harley Quinn, like those two characters, mm-hmm. I think were the saving force or the driving force of this movie um, because, and we'll get there, but the rest of the Suicide Squad, I could take or leave. I honestly didn't care all that much. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not like Deadshot is, is as, you know, ruthless as someone like a... A death stroke kind of thing. But I mean, Will Smith, I think, was a better Floyd Lawton than he was a dead shot. That's just my own personal take on it. And I'm going to say the same thing about Margot Robbie. When it comes to Harley Quinn, of course, they had all these, you know, flashback scenes of her before, you know, the jump into the the Acme Chemicals vat uh, to show her love for the Joker. I think Margot Robbie was a better Dr. Harleen Quinzel than she was a Harley Quinn. But what were your thoughts on Margot Robbie? I found it interesting that I could see parallels between um, the the Dr. Quinn. Mm-hmm. And um, when you think back to the first Batman and Vicki Vale. Like, I don't know if it's ha- if it was intentional, but it was how they styled her. See, I, I, I don't see the parallel between Vicki Vale and Harleen Quinzel, but if we are drawing parallels to some of those older Batman films, I could very easily draw parallels between Harleen Quinzel and Chase Meridian as played by Nicole Kidman in uh, Batman Forever. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they definitely gave her a wonderful backstory and, you know, it, it, I, I think I actually preferred her, though, as Harley Quinn. I actually, um, I found myself comparing the very 
coarse language um, and mature content of the uh, the animated series. <laughs> um, of the animated movies, of course, not not the actual you know you know half hour cartoon, not the Batman the animated series where Harley Quinn was actually first introduced. No, but I I did find that um, I think I expected her character to be a little bit more, um, a little bit more crass, a little bit more vulgar, a little bit more evil, and I I really liked that she was so sweet. She was so likable mm-hmm. that that scene where. Um, and I can't remember the character's name, so I apologize. But the the sword wielding um, character that was introduced on the plane. Oh, Katana. Okay, yes, and just that Harley Quinn was so welcoming and just so sweet to her, even though you know she would have sliced and diced uh, Harley with without you know blinking an eye. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, I mean, there's the thing, right? Like. Harley Quinn is such a beloved character. And we're talking about a character that was introduced first in Batman the Animated Series, right? So really, this is the first live action go of Harley Quinn. It's, you know, which is nice because there's no template before. And I think that's why everyone kind of craps on Jared Leto. There were good, there were great Jokers before him. And he came in and Jared Leto'd all over the place. I'm sorry, no, but the character, like, the Joker doesn't have a golden grill. Like, he just, (laughs) like, come on. No, it was Jared Leto being Jared Leto as the Joker. And that was just, I, you know what? Okay, I'll own. I'm not a big Jared Leto fan, just in case you haven't noticed. But I think any other actor... Any other actor in the same take of the Joker would still be my least favorite character because I'm sorry, that's not the Joker. That's like some kind of hip, like, I don't know, wannabe gangsta. Yeah. Like, if if the Joker was a member of the Insane Clown Posse, this is what it would yes, be. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Juggalo Joker at that Ju- point. Yeah. Juggalo Joker. Yeah, and no. Um, I, I, I have a question out there for you, though. Okay? When it, when it comes to Harley Quinn, do you feel like she was somewhat over-sexualized in this? No. And I again, I think that it could have been a lot worse. Or no more so than, I don't know, Michelle Pfeiffer in the Catwoman suit. Hmm. The thing is, though, Catwoman always kind of walked that fine line between, you know, sexy and, and, and lethal at the same time. Harley Quinn was always kind of fun crazy. Yeah, I mean, they kind of alluded to it a little bit when she was actually getting changed into her, you know. Well, I mean, that that was, just, I, I think that the, the, the scene that really kind of, the only scene I disagree with her in is the whole where she's dancing at the club kind of thing. And the Joker tries to offer her to common and whatnot. And it's just like, mm, no. Every, everything else was fine. But it, it just felt like that scene was a touch much. But that's just me. I, I don't know, though. I think it kind of showed, like, their dynamic. And how the Joker 
even though they were the king and queen of whatever. And I think it just showed that he never actually had love for her, that she was really literally just a... Oh, yeah. No, I mean, the, the Joker can't love possession. anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. She's a tool at that point. She is a weapon. She is a means to an end at times, but, you know, easily discarded. Moving on. Jai Courtney as Digger Harkness, a.k.a. Captain Boomerang. Your thoughts on him? Eh, I mean, it's like I said, um, without Will Smith and Margot Robbie, I I could have just taken or leaving, leaving, leaved. Left. <laughs> okay, so at least, at least I'm not the only one having problems with words in the year of 2023. Wow. Th- thank you for confirming that this is the year the vocabulary is thrown out the window. I am not off to a good start. Um, and I've had nothing to drink yet. Maybe that's the problem. Ah, I need to, yeah, drunken up. <laughs> uh, damn it, dry January. No, yeah, I, mean- I don't know. What, 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 what is your take? And I'll see if I agree because I'm, I'm really... For the rest, I will say for the rest of this podcast, I'm kind of meh. <laughs> um, I think what I liked about Captain Boomerang, as played by Jai Courtney, is that most of the villains in this, most of the Suicide Squad, they found, or at least were able to to evoke emotion for the character with what they did. A lot of them, you sit there and say, oh, well, he's not that such a bad guy. These are like the rogues gallery of the heroes of the DCEU and not all of them are are genuinely, you know, or deep down good people. There's, you know, one bad one bad day turns them into this kind of thing. I like the fact that Captain Boomerang was irredeemable. I like the fact that he was just an right? Because these are some of the people, right? I mean, we didn't get to know Slipknot because he had his head blown off. But that's okay, because really, who the hell slipped not? But, I mean, with Captain Boomerang, I like that he's obnoxious. I like that he's the sandpaper in the group. I like the fact that he's... there. It proves that sometimes a villain is just a villain. Like, I didn't hate him as, as, as Captain Boomerang at all. I also like the fact that, yes, Jai Courtney is an Australian actor. Yes, Captain Boomerang is often portrayed with a really heavy Australian accent. But... You have an Australian actor, but he's not going full Aussie. Like, yeah, like it's it's you didn't need it. You 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 had enough cliche and stereotyping with El Diablo. You didn't need to go that way with Captain Boomerang. I think it worked out well. But I mean, as far as the group goes, did Captain Boomerang stand out for you? I don't think he stood out. I think, um, to be honest, he. And Croc were just there. There. Um, and I'm not sure if you're ready to move on to Diablo. Uh, he's actually next on the list, but yes. Is, okay, nice segue. Um, we didn't plan that at all. It's, <laughs> you know, I here's the unpopular opinion of, you know, 23. So I might as well just drop the mic after this. But as as much as I absolutely agree that the characters were written to be incredibly unlikable. And even when it was disclosed, you know, Diablo's backstory uh, with his family, it was just kind of like as much as at that point you really, really want to hate him 
you could see that there was such incredible remorse there. And it was like that moment of, wow, you have just been made incredibly dislikable. And now I think, I don't know, I, I, I like your character even more because I feel so bad for you. Like it was a weird, it was a very weird turn of the anti-hero, mm-hmm. right? And you're like, wow, you were a bad guy. And I know you were a bad guy, but now it's on a completely different level. Mm-hmm. And how sad is that? <laughs> like, but it was, it was, it was that turn, that scene in the, in the bar. And I know it was meant, it was like, I think it was very good directing. I think it was very good scripting that it was like, wow. Yeah. At this point you realize these are some bad dudes. Yeah. I mean, El Diablo is, is a decent character. Um, I, I love the fact that, you know, w- once you realize what happened with his family, once you realize that, you know, it was his anger and his, you know, inability to control himself that, that led to him losing the everything, it actually made his sacrifice um, make a lot more sense, right? Because, I mean, like, the, these are villains. These are bad guys, right? They're not the ones that are going to put themselves, you know, basically sacrifice themselves for the greater good, right? Deadshot kills for money. Harley Quinn is crazy AF. Captain Boomerang is just a straight-up Aussie thief, right? Um, you know, Killer Croc is a croc. Um, I feel like, you know, King Shark is a shark, but El Diablo, yeah, he was a gang leader and, and drug runner and the whole works and yeah, and he killed his family because he couldn't control his powers. Can I ask a question? Cause I know that I probably like closed my eyes and fell asleep <laughs> for a moment for a hot minute, but, mm-hmm. um, did the Joker and Harley Quinn actually have children because there was that scene where like the joker's laying in what looked like that altar with knives and there was little onesies and then there was a flashback scene it wasn't it wasn't a flashback it was children no so so what that was was enchantress saying i know what it is you want what you desire so she was giving visions to all of the the suicide squad members as to what it was they truly wanted Right, which is why you saw Deadshot actually able to kill Batman in his vision, which is why you saw uh, Margot Robbie have a family with the Joker, which is why you saw El Diablo back with his family. Okay, but then why the onesies laid out with the knives? Why does the Joker do anything? I just found it very unsettling. Mm-hmm. Like, like almost to the point where I started out disliking the Joker. Harley Quinn, okay, I, I liked her. I feel for her. I can see how love has blinded her and anyway whatever but yeah but it kind of made me feel very like uh, i don't know like heartsick like oh my god what happened to the children like mm. uh, we'll, we'll get to jared leto in a bit but yeah el diablo i think was pretty good i'm gonna try this name again here adewale akinoe akbaje and if I got that right, you're welcome. Then we're starting off. To, I can't say I can't say you know regular words, but apparently I can do a name okay. Um, as Waylon Jones, aka Killer Croc. Your thoughts on him? Again, I mean, he was okay. He was just kind of 
there. Um, I think the story kind of needed, it needed that character. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm hit or miss. I'm uninspired to, you know, defend or I I think really it could have been any actor Mm -hmm. under the makeup. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Apparently in the script, they wanted to do King Shark, but they realized that King Shark would have needed to be a full CGI character, much like it was in the Suicide Squad, as voiced by Sylvester Stallone. Um, The thing, though, with King Shark in the Suicide Squad is he's played for jokes, right? And, like, even in the, the DC animated movies, right? Like, and I'm surprised I haven't brought it up really yet, but when it comes to the DCEU versus the DC animated universe, the animated films kicked ass. The DCEU was hit and miss. Let's be honest, though. It's much easier to do animation and you have that freedom of making it exactly what you want. Whereas in a movie, you need that budget. Oh, I, I I fully get it, right? But this film had a $175 million budget. It's not like they weren't, you know, skimping pennies here. Yes, I fully admit that animation, you can do whatever you want kind of thing, but the writing still has to be there as well. True. Right? King Shark was played for jokes in The Suicide Squad. Killer Croc, I think here, is actually a somewhat sympathetic character. And it boils down to that one scene where, you know, he's still in Bell Rev and... Uh, Rick Flagg goes down to the, the sewer door to talk to him kind of thing. And he's like, it's like, why do you, why do they keep you down here? Right. And actually, you know, for lack of a better term, humanizes killer croc. And I think the fact that he isn't played for jokes is a testament to how brutal killer croc can be. Anyone who's played the Arkham, the, uh, the Arkham games, the video games, knows that there's almost like a begrudging respect between Batman and Killer Croc because Killer Croc just wants to be in the sewers and be left alone, right? Batman knows that the sewers are Croc's territory. As long as he doesn't come upstairs and start, you know, don't start, don't start, none won't be none. It's kind of that feel, right? It's kind of the same thing. Killer Croc doesn't want to be, you know, among humans. He's just, you know, wants to be left alone. I just, I would have loved to have seen a Batman scene with Killer Croc, but, you know, it's a Suicide Squad film. I think that would have been interesting mm-hmm. because that would have given his character more depth. Again, he was just kind of there. And, I mean, there, but with a purpose, obviously, when there was the flooding and he was the only one that was yeah. able to deal with it. Cause what, the, what? The subway's flooded out? Great. We yeah. have an amphibian. It's all good. <laughs> okay. Cara Delevingne is Dr. June Moon slash the Enchantress. Your thoughts? Uh, I mean, she was okay. I think the whole connection with her brother, at at that point, I was just like, who the is this guy? Where'd he come from? You know, like, (laughs) um, I mean, definitely her, her character was set up well enough. Um, you know, and it was fine. I mean, again, it, it, she didn't really stand out, nor did she make the movie any better or worse. She was just kind of there. Yeah. I mean, 
here's another one where I'm going to sit there and say, like, there, there's different performances here, right? As Dr. June Moon, I think she was actually pretty good, right? She knows about the Enchantress. She's afraid of becoming the Enchantress. She does not want to be used as the Enchantress by Waller. But then she's the Enchantress. And there's two versions of the Enchantress in this. There's the one where that gets summoned by Dr. June Moon, who's like this, you know, creepy horror film type, shadowy type creature. And then after gaining power from her brother in order, you know, to replace the power missing from the, her heart, then it becomes like a, a different kind of Enchantress. I think the scary, creepy Enchantress is very, very cool. But the full-on belly dancer enchantress probably not so much like it's three different performances and i think cara delavine nailed two of them and i don't think the third one is really her fault either i'd agree with that yeah okay those are the baddies now we gotta talk at the other side the not so good bad uh, it's it's kind of blurry here um joel kinnaman as rick flag your thoughts on him I liked him. Um, yeah, I mean, I, again, I don't know much of the lore of the Suicide Squad. I don't know the backstory. I really can't say that I'm well versed in even comparing the animated series or the comic books, but I thought he was good. I mean, yeah, I have no... You know, I mean, points. I, I mean, he is basically running point for Waller at this point. But I find it interesting because, like, you know, he's in love with Dr. Moon, right? Um, try and protect her from the Enchantress, I guess, if you will. He's also being used by Waller, and she know, he knows that she's being used by Waller. So why is he so gung-ho at times to do her bidding? That's the question, right? I, I think... And, and again, it's nothing against Joel Kinnaman, but I think Rick Flagg is a poorly written character in this film. I, I agree. I think it was like missing some motive. Yeah, exactly. Right. There His are, why. Yeah, it, it flip-flops, but there's more to that there. Okay. Although the turnabout, when it's almost kind of like he not sided with the Suicide Squad, but that connection where... You know, even though like they went off to the bar and and um, Harley Quinn is very much like well, you weren't invited. <laughs> we don't want you I, here. I love that line. That, um, <laughs> that's great. We don't want you here. Like that is such a Harley Quinn thing to say. I love it. Um, you know, like in the end, he was very much for them, and I I kind of I I was all for it. I liked his turnaround. Yeah, <sighs> it's kind of like. This entire movie, I, I kind of found myself just saying, you know, these are supposed to be really bad, unlikable people. Yet, I, I'm I don't I don't hate on that. I can see like where their motivations lie. And aside from the Joker, I you know I I, I did not dislike the dislikable. Okay, let's talk about the Joker. No, Jared Leto. <sighs> Can I just say my disclaimer here? I am going to remain silent for the next five minutes because I was told if I have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. I'm going with Thumper's lesson and uh, (laughs) I'm just bowing out of the next um, 
Yeah, I can't defend Jared Leto. You know, the movie was not that bad. I will give it that. I enjoyed it more than the second um, sequel to to this movie. Um, But no, I cannot get behind Jared Leto as the Joker with his, I don't know, neon green hair in his grill. Okay. So I'm going to diatribe then. Get your Snickers bar ready. Okay. I'm just going to read you the first five words I have written down here for my notes. Can I just clarify, is the Snickers for me or for you? Yes. Okay. First five words I have written down here for my notes on Jared Leto, okay? Please stop. Seriously, please stop. I don't know what was going through his head when he came up with this iteration of the joker so so i I was reading some of these these notes on imdb to to find out where he was pulling this um this character from right and apparently he had said that he took a lot of inspiration from the the batman graphic novel uh a serious house on serious earth and i I took a look at some of the because i haven't read that book but i took a look at some of the you know the pages of the book i'm just like there's no grill there's no tattoos. Doesn't have damage written across his head. Doesn't look like a juggalo. There was an opportunity here to make a really good, unique yet still iconic Joker, right? And and this this is a this is a big deal, right? Because when you step into the role of someone who is of a character that is beloved, obviously not by not by Batman but beloved character. Jack Nicholson brought a very Adam West era Batman or Joker to, to Batman. And it kind of fit what Tim Burton did. Heath Ledger was phenomenal as the Joker. Mark Hamill's laugh is iconic as the Joker. There was an opportunity here to style the Joker after Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. And if you've watched the animated movies of The Dark Knight Returns, parts one and two, you have this white suit wearing, very dapper yet still homicidal Joker. If they had gone that route, if they had, like, this is where I think Matt Smith would have killed it as the Joker. If you go with that Dark Knight Returns feel for the Joker, you know, a little extra homicidal, right? And it would have worked too, because I know there was a lot of Batfleck that was based on the Dark Knight Returns, an older, slightly craggy Batman who's who's been through it, right? Jason Todd's already dead, right? They could have gone the Dark Knight Returns route on this, and it would have worked, but it didn't. They let Jared Leto do his own research and just get into whatever character he thought the Joker was, and it didn't work. It did not work. I think the play between him and Harley Quinn, that part worked. I think that was, I think they did really well in pairing Harley Quinn and Joker together, and those scenes were okay, but I just, you can't. I can't get past the grill. I really can't. That's not the Joker. 
To my knowledge, there isn't a single Batman comic where the Joker goes full juggalo. To my knowledge. And if if there is, please hit us up on Twitter at NotThatBadcast and let me know. Because I'm curious. What? Where? Why? Why is Gamora? But eh, they could have done so much better. They could have. But they didn't. Meh. You know why I hate him so much? He threw a chewed carrot at me. What? (laughs) (laughs) At that show, that 30 Seconds to Mars show, he took a bite of a baby carrot and then threw it in the audience and it hit me. Wow. Yeah. I f*** that guy. Jared Little, you need to apologize. I hate him. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on. Because I'm at a Snickers here. Viola Davis as Amanda Waller. Your thoughts on her? Again, I, I liked her very much. Um, she is that perfect combination of, she looks sweet, you know, like just a, a quintessential mom character, but I'm pretty sure she would stab you in the back <laughs> the second you turned um, to make a cup of tea for her. Like I just, she just seems so... She's so sociopathic, silently unassuming, but yeah, she, she scares me like she should. Yeah. I mean, you, again, you go back to the comics and the cartoons and all Amanda Waller. I was waiting for the butterflies. (laughs) (laughs) The The thing with Amanda Waller is that she is one of the most ruthless cunning unforgiving characters in the dc universe like lex luthor is brilliant and cunning and whatnot but he's more public facing right i mean like they had an entire arc where luthor becomes president right he's way more public amanda waller works in the shadows amanda waller will do whatever it takes and whatever it takes like, even that scene where they're trying to break her out of the, the, the bunker there and she shoots everyone else on her team because they would just slow her down. Like, that's Amanda Waller. You know, you could say a lot about the writing of this film. They nailed her. And she nailed her. Like, it was really, really good. There's another character in this film. And it's not played by anybody. It's the soundtrack. Oh, love I am so glad you mentioned this. Yeah. I mean, this is where the film won a lot of awards. Between the makeup and the makeup used on Killer Croc and whatnot and the hairstyling, like they got awards for that, but the soundtrack was where they got a lot of awards. And I remember when the trailer came out too. Like the Bohemian Rhapsody trailer. Like I remember like seeing this and going, like, wow, this is one of the best trailers I've seen in a long time. And then the movie came out and I was like, wow, the trailer was so much better than the movie. But your thoughts on the soundtrack? Because I, I have thoughts, but I want to hear what you thought. It was absolutely brilliant. And it's interesting. Okay. So first, I loved it. Um, I loved that they used different songs and the choices were absolutely perfect in introducing all of the characters. Um, Now, 
I'm thinking back to, oh my goodness, I can't remember the movie, but I know that, uh, oh, was it Fanboys? I think it was Fanboys, where um, we were talking about um, the music use, Mm -hmm. and you had big issue with the fact that, oh no, it was Little Nicky. It was the the, oh God. the butterfly scene, oh. and you were saying how it bothered you so much that there were so many songs used in a short amount of time. Yes, mm-hmm. and so when I was watching this last night, I thought back to that, and I was like, I wonder if Jay is going to love or hate the music use in the fact that you just get into a song and then they're on to the next one. Because the scene changes and they're introducing a new character and they're using the music to set it up. So I thought it was brilliant. I loved it. I loved it as a vehicle to get from one scene to another. Um, I mean, let's be honest. Again, the the choices of songs, like whoever um, was responsible for putting that together, the editors, I'm assuming. Uh, well, the, there's the, the soundtrack coordinator, right? Yeah. It was so, so brilliant. So okay, kudos. Okay, okay. so l- let me put this out there, okay? Uh, I'm glad you brought up Little Nicky. And, you know, if you want to figure out why the hell that movie pissed me off so much, you go back and listen to that episode. But I'll summarize it here. Four songs and a bit of buck 30 with no real motivation for the song change. That's what pisses me off. And I'm a musician and an editor. So, <laughs> yeah. Any more Snickers. Can Snickers just sponsor us? <laughs> Like, I'm thinking. Like, you don't like, dear Snickers. You don't need to send us money. Just send us a box of Snickers bars every episode, and we'll we'll film it. We'll film it. Trust me. But yeah, um, here the music was allowed to breathe. Here the music was allowed. To, the groove was allowed to get there. There was motivation for the changes of the songs. They were tying it as a as a narrative element. I think the soundtrack was very well used here, much better than Little Nicky. But sorry, Adam Sandler. But I don't think of this soundtrack as iconic. The songs are good, except Heathens. That song's boring. Personal opinion. I like it. At me. Go ahead. Um, But I don't think the soundtrack as a soundtrack is, you know, it doesn't hit the pinnacle of the soundtrack makes the movie, right? It's not like The Crow. Uh, The Crow was one of the very first films that came to mind, right? Or Romeo and Juliet. Okay, but The Crow at least is a comic book film. So if you're just taking a look at comic book films and soundtracks, The Crow is the pinnacle of rock soundtracks for comic book inspired movies. That right there, right? It starts and ends with The Crow. Daredevil was good. Spawn was a phenomenal soundtrack. The original Batman like I'm talking Michael Keaton era Batman Are you soundtrack. Bat dance? Oh, Prince. Yep. <laughs> Orange uh, Crush. Hey, you know what? I'll I'll give you that one, right? But like even more recently, I mean Guardians of the Galaxy, the music is a character in that because mm. it's actually part of Peter Quill's backstory. Truth. Black Panther, that soundtrack. Uh while I'm not a big fan of the songs on it because it's just not my genre, I'm sorry, but I get it and it's impactful. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, another great soundtrack. This is good, 
But I think the biggest thing for me is that it didn't bring anything new to the table. Right? I didn't hear Heathens the first time because of this film. Right? And a lot of the other songs, there's like three songs on the soundtrack that were also in Wayne's World. Like, it's not like it brought anything new. You know, it almost like went the Guardians of the Galaxy route, which came out two years earlier, which I think is why as well, it's not as impactful as it could be. If Guardians of the Galaxy didn't exist, Suicide Squad is better received because Guardians did it better. And I didn't think it was going to be that way. When I first saw the, the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer when it first came out, I remember sitting at work, watching with my buddy and like, yeah, what is this? You got a you got a tree standing in front of a, you know, in front of a a, a a height board there, and you got some guy flipping the bird of the camera. What what is this, Marvel? What are you doing? I was wrong. Marvel was right. Um, Dear Snickers, <laughs> we'll send you directly the address. We're going to need. We're going to maybe need, about five boxes. We're going to we're going to need a bigger Snickers bar. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, if Guardians doesn't exist, Suicide Squad is better received because Guardians did it better. Suicide Squad did it second, so it had to, or flip, okay. But flip if it, it would have if if it would have switched, I was just going to say if this had come out first. If Suicide Squad came out first, then Guardians would be compared to Suicide Squad. So that means that there's that. Right, but you're 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 dealing with the weight of comparison against a film that defied all expectations. But there was nothing wrong with their song choices, though. Oh no, the, the soundtrack holds up on its own. I think I, I think it holds up. I just don't see it as iconic or bringing anything new to the table because the majority of it is songs we've heard before. The Crow is still the pinnacle of comic book movie soundtracks. I stand by that. Okay, so do you think if they had chosen different songs, like if they had, I mean, musically, they kind of almost went with um, the old, like more classic rock, like the Stones. And, yeah, which, which um, Guardians of the Galaxy did too, but, but hear me out on this one here. Guardians of the Galaxy chose those songs because they were supposedly put on this tape made by Peter Quill's mother and it's the only thing he has left of her. Mm-hmm. So all the songs fit into a time period of Peter's connection to Earth, right? So so that makes sense as far as a character standpoint. I think the songs they choose worked well as narrative devices to tell the story of what's going on with the characters themselves. I, I have nothing wrong against the song choices, but it didn't bring anything so do you think, I guess the question leading is if Suicide Squad had gone with maybe a heavier soundtrack or a little more... I don't even think it's a genre recent thing. ...recent in, in their music choices? I, I don't think it's a genre thing. Like You don't think like a new metal would have... Oh, God, no. No, no, no. Would that have mean, changed the scope. No, because then it would have gotten comparisons to like, you know, Daredevil and Elektra. And movies like that with that with their new metal ish soundtracks, I mean even like the Transformers movies like leaned heavily on bands like Linkin Park. The first Avengers film um, had some great songs on it. Um, it didn't make the film right. It did. It didn't change anything. But there were some great songs in the Avengers soundtrack. Um, but 
the thing with Guardians is that there's songs on there where, and, and I'll, I will admit, you know, my 70s music, you know, 70s, 80s music, oh, okay, my 80s music vocabulary is great, but my 70s music vocabulary isn't as maybe strong as it should be. So there were songs on there that really said, I was like, wow, I, you know, had never heard this song before or it's brand new to me. I think what James Gunn did with the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack is equivalent to what Quentin Tarantino would do with his soundtracks, where while the songs aren't new, they might be newer to your ears because they're a little less known. I think James Gunn and Quentin Tarantino have phenomenal talent in finding songs that help narrate the story. I think David Ayer did a decent job with the with the soundtrack here. I just don't see it as being as more iconic than some of the other ones. I still, I just want to say, and I love that you mentioned Quentin Tarantino because I love when the soundtrack becomes a character of its own. And it did in this film. I like, I'm not, I'm not trying to diss the soundtrack. I'm just saying I don't think it's icon as iconic as it's made it to be through the award nominations that it got. Although I found it was consistent, like the genre oh, yeah. that they picked was a good choice. It, I think personally, it worked. Um, you know, whereas Quentin Tarantino uses almost like the, you know, as if he were going through like a record The more collection. esoteric selections. Yeah. The deep cuts. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, modern bands doing songs of deeper cuts. Like pulling in Urge Overkill doing Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon. Like that's, that is iconic to that film. And that's iconic to that almost moment in film. Right? Like that song transcended the movie that it was in and became a thing. Right? As as good a job I think they did on the soundtrack, there was nothing on there that was going to become a thing. I know Heathens is a good song to some people. I just don't get it. I liked it. I don't. Um there's another elephant in the room that we have to talk about here. Studio interference. This film went through many different versions and the end cut that we all got to see was basically filmmaking by committee because they had the cut and then Batman vs. Superman came out and then the studio freaked because everyone said, oh, it's so dark. It's so, so angry. We need jokes. And then there were different versions and then they actually got the the company that did the trailer for the film to do a cut of the film and they tested all these different ones and everything tested kind of like equal. So they basically took elements of all these different cuts and all these reshoots and smashed it together into a Franken film. Did this movie feel disjointed to you? I have to say that I am intrigued and curious because, um, in your opening, you said that we watched the extended version. Yeah, I'm sorry. And I, <laughs> no, I mean, it didn't feel, it didn't feel overly long and it didn't feel like it had extra content. So I tend to wonder what. Well, extended cut was 11 minutes extra. Even at that though, even at that, I tend to wonder what this shorter cut would have been like in comparison because again um the two attempts that i had previous to yesterday 
I fell asleep very quickly. Yeah. I watched the second Suicide Squad movie technically first, not knowing the backstory of any of the characters or what the hell was going on. And I disliked it in that I, 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 in comparison, when I saw the movie last night, I actually really kind of enjoyed this movie. Um, so when I compare the second movie, not that I hated it, but I actually enjoyed the first one more in comparison. I, I think it's one of those things where it just felt like it needed to be shuffled in, a, in an order that made sense. Because you start the film at Bell Rev and then you title sequence and then you go to Amanda Waller who's doing like 15 minutes of backstory on each of the, of the characters two of them we've already just met and then then all of a sudden oh yeah and by the way and one of the members on this team is going to end up being the villain that we have to get the suicide squad in for like like it's it's, See, it's I don't hate that though and I think maybe it's my love for like the lineup of Quentin Tarantino movies where a movie doesn't have to be from a logical start to finish. Mm-hmm. I am totally okay with kind of piecing things, parts of the puzzle together. Yeah. And I I actually really enjoyed how it was laid out. I think, except for closer to the end where I was just kind of like... Get over it. Okay, can we end this now? <laughs> yeah, it, it took a while to finish. That's the thing. Um, before we go on to our MVPs, Twitter has spoken. Uh, the Great Song Podcast has chimed in with, really liked it, seen it multiple times, don't understand the flack it gets. I'm sure there are purest reasons for disdain, but I have no problems with it. And that's that's kind of there, right? Like I, I don't disagree with that, right? It's not the worst film out there, right? Like I, I'm going to put this to you. Right, because I, I know your thoughts. Okay, I'm I'm going to give you a list of comic book films. Okay, also the name you say Suicide Squad is better or worse. Mm. Okay, Morbius. Oh, okay. Is, um, is Suicide, pass. Is, is Suicide Squad better or worse than Morbius? Pass. Okay, so Suicide Squad is better. Moving on. Okay, Eternals. Ooh better suicide squad is better okay fair enough and finally the movie you listed as number one on your grading on a curve when we did superhero movies <laughs> is suicide squad better or worse than Catwoman? Mm. also spoilers if you're going to go listen to that episode but um you know what i i enjoyed suicide squad better than Catwoman. It's not a high bar to hit, but <laughs> apparently it hit it. But I, I did like Catwoman. No disrespect to to Halle Berry's Catwoman. Okay. Halle Berry is Enchantress. I don't hate that. Okay. I can get behind that. Brendan Brizzy Sullivan has chimed in with, would have been better if Jared Leto wasn't the Joker. Thank you. Or didn't make the Joker a gangster wannabe. Agreed. If they just made the Joker the villain like everyone called, the production company got too scared that everyone predicted it and flipped the script. Rumors on that one. I wonder how much weight Jared Leto had in the creation of the look of the character. Not much. He's he's pretty skinny. Oh, come on. <laughs> uh, I want to know who's at fault. Whose fault is this? Is it Jared Leto having way too much uh, leeway 
and, and creative, um, control or like, is this really the, the, like, is this the creators? Is this the studio, the direction? Like whose fault is, who did this is what I want to know. I I mean, first of all, you have to follow Jared Leto. Yes. For doing that. Yeah. Right. You have to follow David Ayer for letting him do it. And the interesting thing is that apparently like in the, the original theatrical cut, not the extended one that we saw, they pulled out a lot of the Joker. So it's not the studio's fault. You know, I just, I actually want to double back here for a second. And knowing that I might be out of my league, I, I do want to circle back to the comparison between Suicide Squad and The Eternals. Okay. In that Suicide Squad really is a movie about the baddies. Mm-hmm. And The Eternals was in my mind and, and my very, very limited knowledge of the comic book properties for DC um, is kind of like a, you know, motley crew of superheroes. So, drawing a parallel, I put it over to you because you're far more versed (laughs) (laughs) in in the DC lore (laughs) to compare, truly, to compare Suicide Squad to Eternals. Over to you. I don't... I don't think you can really compare the two. And hear me out on this one here. Eternals is more of an ensemble piece that's where the the it, it, the, the fault lies within the group, right? Enchantress was never really a part of the Suicide Squad because they basically set the Suicide Squad in to stop her, right? Um, the Joker, and, and there's the there's the interesting thing. Right? You have this thing that happens that they send Flag and Enchantress in under the ground to stop it. And then Enchantress bails and becomes the thing that they have to stop. What was the problem to begin with? Right? Okay, but... Waller made the problem by sending the Enchantress in. uh, True. True. Why did she form the Suicide Squad then... In anticipation of, whole, well, this is going to go down. The whole premise of the Suicide, suicide Squad's, man, 2023, please give me my vocabulary back. Um, the whole reason the Suicide Squad was created was because with Superman gone, the worry for from, you know, from the paranoids that are, you know, in Washington is that what happens when the next alien that comes to Earth doesn't align with the values of the people that they are protecting, right? What happens to the next one that comes to Earth comes to to to, to wreck up, right? Who do you send in, right? Batman doesn't work for the government. Aquaman doesn't work for the government. Wonder Woman doesn't work for the government. They don't have control over these people. They can control these expendable people to send in. I think if you're going to compare any movie to the Suicide Squad, you have to compare the Expendables, the Sylvester Stallone-led ensemble piece, where here's a team of bad guys, or at least, you know, not necessarily bad guys, but definitely a little rough around the edges, sent in to do something. Not necessarily, and they, and they do it because they're they're mercenaries, right? They do it for money, mm-hmm. right? The expend- money or freedom? <clears throat> no, money. 
But the Expendables is a much more apt comparison rather than the Eternals is. The Eternals is more a morality play where Suicide Squad is you send in the people who wouldn't normally do the things that, you know, militaries or heroes would do. And they do it kind of against their will. You know, this isn't free choice. They're doing it because of money, right? Suicide Squad is doing it because, well, there's a bomb in their neck. They like their heads. Yeah, but I am looking at the camaraderie. Like, Suicide Squad wasn't a formed team, nor were the... um, No, the the Eternals Eternals. were. I mean, the Eternals... The thing with the Eternals is that they, 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 they always work together until the uh, you know until the celestial is created and then they go back to their ship and they go to another planet to create another celestial that's the way of things right much different much more epic scale also how has no one in marvel pointed out that there's a giant thing sticking out of the ocean at this point but that's just me they eventually have to get to that all right one more here greg has put a thread on Twitter on this one here over at Movie Date Night. Much like what happened with The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, there's another film that we got to talk about. This film took too much assumption that the entire roster of characters are ubiquitous in pop culture and need no significant introduction or buildup. Really, only Harley Quinn could get this pass. There is a reason Marvel succeeds where DC fails. Marvel takes its time to build up the characters with no assumption that the general audience knows who anyone is and takes at least four movies of character development before the first team-up movie. That's where Eternals falters because it's like, who are these characters? We don't know them, right? The general non-comic book movie audience knows them. This film just jumped straight in, despite having none of these characters appearing in any theatrically theatrically released film before aside from the joker and had the gall to be like you guys all know deadshot enchantress and diablo right no need to go any deeper than 10 second intros i remember having whiplash when i first watched this film as i had to constantly google who the hell each of these characters was and what they could and couldn't do in the end it felt more like watching children play superhero just making up their powers as they go along (laughs) <laughs> I love that. Uh, oh, bravo. Greg drops the Twitter mic. Drop the mic. <laughs> love it. Thank you to the Great Song Podcast, Brendan Brizzy Sullivan and Movie Date Night for chiming in on this one here. He's not wrong, though. Actually, none of them are wrong, but but Greg's definitely not wrong in the fact that aside from Harley Quinn, like unless you are a you know comic book, not you don't even have to be an aficionado, but I mean... I like to think that I have I have a decent grasp of knowledge of a lot of these characters. I had never heard of Diablo or Slipknot up until this film. Can we just talk about Batman? <laughs> really? Okay. Like like I said, Batfleck. Um now granted, you know, uh, again, I went into this not knowing very much. But I was kind of like, oh, Batman's here? Because it was almost like his appearance in this movie was so... Random? Yeah. Yeah, that's probably the best word. Like, understated? Like, random? I I would have liked to have seen a connection between him and Crocman because I'm like, what? Like... 
it, it, it's, where is this going? It's true that you have to, in order to know some of these characters, you have to know who they're most tied to as far as the rogues gallery. Killer Croc is a member of Batman's rogues gallery. You know, Deadshot has gone toe-to-toe with Batman before. Captain Boomerang is a Flash rogue. Um, Harley Quinn, of course, is a Batman rogue. El Diablo, I, I slipped on, I have no clue. But there comes a point where you're trying to create, and this is this is the biggest knock on DC. Man of Steel came out. And they're like, okay, this is cool. It's a really good Superman film. Henry Cavill's greatest Superman, all good, right? The very next film that comes out, you know, this is their flag in the sand that says they're going to marvel the crap out of this is Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. And the minute, the minute people heard Batman versus Superman, people were like, oh, this is going to be the coolest film ever. DC is going to be awesome. And remember too, there was a stretch where DC films killed anything that Marvel was putting out at the time. Right? Christopher Nolan Batman films still stand to this day. Right? Marvel, back in the, you know, Daredevil Electra days, Ghost Rider. Yes, there's a Man-Thing film out there too. You're welcome. But Batman versus Superman had the most potential and the biggest letdown. This film, I don't, it had potential. It had hype. That you go you go back and you watch that that trailer with Bohemian Rhapsody in it. And I actually remember it too. So yeah. Like it had to have stood out because Yeah. Like it that trailer got me so hyped for this film. It was a letdown. The Guardians of the Galaxy trailer had me worried for that film. So may, maybe, maybe Trailers need to stop being so damn good. Just putting it out there. Just a thought. Kudos to the editing. Oh, don't don't get me wrong. The team that put that trailer together rocked it. And I think that there's there's part of the problem here. And we have Kevin and I over on Just Another Nerd Show have gone on this diatribe numerous times. In that either the you know the the, the trailer gives too much away, or it overhypes the film. Or worse, when the trailer has absolutely nothing to do with what the movie is actually about. You don't, or you feel let down. In the States, and I, I would love for the guys over at the Flops cast in order to talk about this, but apparently people can now sue for fault for misleading advertising if a trailer, if, if, if they feel the trailer is misleading on the film. Oh my. Yeah, but in the states you can sue anybody for anything. So, hence why well, <laughs> I'm sure Canada wrong. too. People, I'm not hating on the states. So, I'm just saying someone sued because coffee was hot. People sue for the <laughs> dumbest ass reasons. Come on, man. Oh, Flopscast, please no. tackle that one. Oh my god. Okay, Ugh. but I mean, there's a point there though, in that if a film came out and showed someone in the trailer and then that person's role was cut. Mm. Right? I mean, it's one thing, you know, like you take a look at like the Spider-Man, you know, 
trailer where they digitally removed the other Spider-Man. Sorry if you haven't seen it. Um, Why am I thinking too about movie posters? And for some reason, I remember a conversation with our boys about Sonic. I think it's Sonic. That there was a name that was omitted from, or Tails was omitted from the movie poster. Yeah. But I mean, it's not like you're advertising the character in there and the characters don't not in there. If you don't show a character and the character shows up, that's that's not misleading. That's just that's just a like yeah. nice surprise. It's yeah, like exactly. Oh, I, and you know what? How many movie trailers or how many movies do that where they drop a character and it's like like where I was I did not expect to see Well it's it's interesting. Like I love that. It's interesting because I mean if you take a look back at X-Men Days of Future Past, right? They had all these scenes with Anna Paquin in, uh, you know, reprising her role as Rogue. And her scenes were all cut from the theatrical release. She wasn't in the trailer, right? But her scenes were cut from the theatrical release. And then later on, years later, they released a new version called it the Rogue Cut and put her all her stuff back in. Hmm. Which, you know, if you're an Anna Paquin fan, great. Go, go buy that DVD. But before we go on the longer diatribe, I'm, we we could do an entire episode on misleading, no, not misleading, but trailer trailer scenes that were in the trailer but not in the movie. Looking at you, Rogue One. But before we before we do that, because that's another episode entirely, we gotta talk about our MVPs here. It's time. Oh, sh- I didn't do my homework. <laughs> I'm not ready. I, I will talk very, very, very slowly here. All right, go ahead. Who is your MVP of 2016's Suicide Squad? Can I do a power couple? You can. Can I pick two? You may. I absolutely love Will Smith and... Margot Robbie? Margot Robbie. Harley Quinn. Which, I find that funny because this is actually the second film that those two starred together in consecutive years because they starred together in Focus in 2015. I have a question though. Why was Will Smith not back in the second? I really don't know. I don't know if it was a scheduling thing or not or, I mean, who knows? They didn't even mention him. Like there was not even any like, so run me by the characters of the second movie and I don't know if this is an unfair question but Peacemaker was in it. Yeah, Peacemaker, Peacemaker was in it. Rick was Flag, good. Rick Flag was good. back in it, yes. Uh, you had Margot Robbie back as uh, as Harley Quinn. But you also had King Shark as voiced by Sylvester Stallone. You had Idris Elba, who played Bloodsport, who is somewhat similar to Deadshot, just a bit more, you know, less, you know, sharpshooter style kind of character, but very similar. But where I'm going with this... Uh, Harley Quinn was the only reoccurring character in the second. No, Captain Boomerang was there as well. Oh, okay, but yeah. But the but the thing is, it's it leads to, or at least it it, it adds to the expendability of a lot of these characters. And that's the thing. Waller would basically put teams together based on what she needed, right? So if she didn't need you, you weren't getting a chance at another ten years off your off your prison sentence, like. 
Do you think that was by design to like introduce a whole I'm sure it's probably just team a, of baddies? I'm sure it's just probably a contract thing. But if you remember too, with the Suicide Squad, James Gunn had all these characters at the beginning and they all died. Hmm. Spoilers. Fair enough. But you know, you had you had like, you know, uh TDK and and uh like the female version of Mongol and like you had all these characters and it's just like and they're dead. Can I just say that this is where I was going with this is I think the dislike that I had for the second movie is that there was no Will Smith. I, If you're a Will Smith fan, I get that. I do. Again, I love the connection between the two characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they, they didn't try to replicate that with Idris Elba. I think that's the smart move. Um, but yeah, I, I, I get it. But neither of those two are my MVP. Who is? My MVP is Viola Davis, Amanda Waller. Because let's be honest, Margot Robbie did a, a decent job of portraying Harley Quinn on the big screen. Full kudos to her. I get that. Jai Courtney did a pretty decent job of doing Captain Boomerang. No one nailed their character from the comic books, from the cartoons, from the everything better than Viola Davis. She took Amanda Waller, who was, you know, like just the scariest character because of what she's capable of and brought that to life and made her even more sociopathic, but not in, not in an overblown way. Can like, I just say, like watch Peacemaker if you have not watched that series. Yeah. And I mean- can you imagine her daughter growing up with, yeah, Amanda Waller as a mom? Right. Like, like you would not look <laughs> around. You would do your homework. You would sit down and eat your goddamn broccoli because you would not fucking want to cross her. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Like, James Gunn is now the head of DC Studios, right? He's the one who's calling the shots now. That's why there's going to be no more Henry Cavill Superman. There's no Black Adam sequel. Like, they are clearing the decks on this one i don't even know if the flash movie is going to come out i don't know if aquaman 2 is going to come out we know batgirl's shelved forever so why was that they shelved batgirl to save money and basically call it like a tax write-off i guess if you will um flash obviously there's there's all the problems with ezra miller um and you know, potential legal problems like you're talking about a movie where your star could be in prison at that point, possibly, yeah, potentially. That's a deal breaker. Yeah. Aquaman 2, apparently they've had to go in and, and redo a lot of it and try to remove as much Amber Heard as possible. Like, yeah, there's a lot going on with DC. But James Gunn, now in the driver's seat, uh, we know what he can do because just take a look at Guardians of the Galaxy. We know that he knows how to you know work in that playground. Um but if there's one character I would love to see him hold on to from the DCEU, it's Viola Davis as Amanda Waller. She is, I'm going to put this out there. Viola Davis playing Amanda Waller is the best part of the entire DCEU. All of it. Better than Henry Cavill Superman. Better than Batfleck. Better than anything in The Flash and Aquaman and Wonder Woman. Amanda Waller is the one character... From the DCEU that needs to stay. Everyone else, scrap them. 
start fresh, except Amanda Waller. That's that's my personal take on it. James Gunn, if you're listening, you're welcome. You can't scrap Harley Quinn. <sighs> you can't. Can't I, though? No. Why not? No, because... No, you know what? I think that character was made iconic because of Margot Robbie. Okay. And you cannot deny that. You can't deny... Like, the crossover that, you know... Harley Quinn is a character. They have gone from the animated series. They have the Suicide Squad movies. They even, am I not, or am I mistaken that they had, um, I mean, even even the usage of the, um, the likeness in, help me out here, that Adam Sandler movie, Her, Hubie Halloween, they, they, they used the likeness in Hubie oh, Halloween. Don't get me wrong. So that makes it an institution right there. Margot Robbie's portrayal of Harley Quinn, dare I say, is is iconic. Right? It's it's a look unto itself. It's different from the traditional Batman animated series Harley Quinn look that was created in that series. But I mean the fact that they carried that movie look, that Margot Robbie look over to the Harley Quinn animated series that's out now. Um just goes to show how iconic it became. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, you can't though, scrap that. But if you if you don't scrap Harley Quinn, at least Margot Robbie's version of Harley Quinn, that means you got to stick with Jared Leto. Nope. Nope. Unless you introduce Poison Ivy and just basically, you know, off off the Joker, if you will. Yes. Down with that. Okay. <laughs> let, let me put this to you then. If you're going to hold on to Margot Robbie going forward in the DCEU and you're going to pair her with a, with, with a Poison Ivy because there is that relationship there. Who is your Poison Ivy across from Margot Robbie? Ooh, that is a good question. Uh, Zoe Deschanel. Really? I want to see it. Can't you picture it? No, I can't. I really can't. I could picture a Madeline Pesch playing that role. Um, I could also picture if you if you want to go grab a bunch of red hair dye and and do up Alexandra Daddario as a redhead, but um, no, I just. eh. Ooh, um, how about Anna Kendrick? Actually, you know what? I mean, I think she needs to be a little taller. Um. I don't think so. But, but you can you can make that happen and, you know. <laughs> Get some milk crates. Put her up on there. Um, possibly. That'd be fun. Possibly. No. No, no. No. Isla Fisher. Mm, no. Um, she's too sweet. Uh, however, um, Kristen Ritter. Kristen Ritter would be good. Actually, I kind of like that Although idea. Although I kind of like her already as Jessica Jones, so... Yeah, but it's DC. You can do both. Yeah, no. Jared Leto proved no, it. No, you know what? What? <laughs> Jared Leto proved that you can do both. Ugh. He, didn't do, <laughs> he didn't do either justice, so... Uh, Snickers. Almost brought down the whole damn franchise. Dear Snickers, I mentioned Jared Leto. Please bring <laughs> Carrie a, a chocolate bar. <laughs> it's going to have to be, you know, more than just Snickers, like... <laughs> Pair it with some tequila Jager. or something. 
Jaeger and Snickers. That's what this should be sponsored <laughs> by. That'll um, help numb the pain. Uh, it'll help numb something. All right. Thank you for listening to what I'm going to assume after editing is the longest episode of It's Not That Bad. Uh, Carrie, thank you for going down this road for me. I'm sorry I brought up horror Jared Leto memories for you. Can we just stop saying his name? Jared right Leto, now? Jared Leto, Jared Leto, Jared Leto. Jared Leto. No. <laughs> uh, to you, our listeners, thank you for listening to us goof on this film. And now, if there's a film out there that you would love to see us cover, uh, one that you think is unfairly maligned, or you think is so bad, like J- anything Jared Leto is in, um, that there isn't anything that we can find good to say about Jared Leto, hit us up on Twitter at not that bad cast or over on Facebook. Come and follow us and like us there. Facebook.com slash not that bad cast. Let us know and we will watch it. We will dissect it. We will ignore Jared Leto and we will find the good things to say about those films because we're looking for those A grades in B movies. Until then, I'm Jay. She's Carrie. You are awesome. This is It's Not That Bad. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.